What's going on? Welcome to episode 131 of WFS, the Will Ford Show. Terrific to have you in here on a Thursday, my day off this week from the Wilds. And the NBA playoffs, we're now starting to move into round two. The matchups for round two are going to be set here pretty shortly. A big one tonight, the Los Angeles Lakers trailing 3-2 to the Phoenix Suns after you know game five. They got blown out by 30-plus against Devin Booker, CP3, and company. And, oh, my goodness, that was a rough game to watch as a Lakers fan. Anthony Davis was out with the groin injury. In my opinion, I think he just should have played. I, I get that groin injuries are pretty tough. I've dealt with groin injury. I I, I tore my groin in high school uh, during track season my sophomore year, and I understand it's tough. It can be a nagging injury, and it usually takes – minimum a week, maybe two weeks, depending on the severity, to really get back to full strength. So I get from Anthony Davis's standpoint, you know, he might be in a lot of pain, but this is playoff basketball and I think you need to be playing. You know, mom of a mentality, Kobe Bryant, he would have been playing. The late great Kobe would not, would have played in that game a couple nights ago in Phoenix. Kobe, you know, close to the end of his time, really the beginning of the end for him was that torn Achilles that he suffered in 2012-2013 against Golden State. He went back out onto the floor and shot two free throws, nailed both of them, and then shuffled off of the court. They had to foul to get him off the court. And I mean, if you can go out there and do that with a torn Achilles, Anthony Davis, I think, can go out there and play with a, you know, a little bit of a strained groin. Get out there and play. It was That was kind of my thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo last year. I believe he did something with his foot or his ankle or something like that. And he wasn't playing in the bubble, you know, in games four and five against the Miami Heat. I mean, if you can walk on the sideline, you can play. Anthony Davis can walk. Yes, his lateral movement may not be fantastic. But, I mean, if you can walk, you can play. That's my thing. I would be playing. I know it's easy for me to say sitting here, but I've dealt with a groin injury, and I would have kept running on it my sophomore year if it weren't for my coaches telling me, hey, sit down, you're going to the doctor tomorrow, you're not you're not doing another thing until you get checked out, and we figure out what's really wrong and how long you need to sit out for. So, you know, I did that, and I sat off for two weeks, I did some physical therapy and things like that, and then I came back stronger than ever, I guess, and if it were up to me, I would have continued running and I probably would have done permanent damage to my groin and you know running you know doing sprinting is a lot yes you're sprinting on a basketball floor but you know in track and field it's prolonged sprinting I was a 200 meter 400 meter runner I would have been putting my body under intense uh, stretches of tension you know for anywhere from 30 seconds to one minute at a time not even factoring the warm up in between and and everything like that and so basketball yes you're out there on the floor for several minutes at a time you're running back and forth up the floor kind of similar maybe not as much cuz you're not running full out dead sprint every time like you would be in track and field but davis bottom line is davis has got to get out there and play and he's supposed to be playing tonight in game 6 we'll see how he plays Anthony Davis is one of those players, though, to me, he's a great player when he's on. 
Like, don't get me wrong. He is a top 10 player in this league. But I think with his injuries, I think he's slightly overrated. Maybe not even slightly. He might be, you know, very overrated. He's never been a player that you can depend on in a season to play 70 plus games. He's always going to miss a minimum of 20 games every season. And game five against Phoenix, that was the first playoff game he'd ever missed. So he's always fought through some of the nagging injuries he's had in the playoffs. But we forget that last year in the bubble, Anthony Davis had, you know, four months off because of the pandemic before they actually started playing the bubble and playing the playoffs. And he still had nagging injuries. So he was fresh going into it, but then he still had the bone spur and everything like that. He still played through it all and played great. He had a great playoffs, but we kind of take that for granted that, you know, he had a lot of time off and was available for the playoffs, but had it been a full season and no break in between, we may not have really seen that. And the Lakers may not have been champions last year. So for this to happen now, it's actually kind of somewhat the norm for Anthony Davis. He missed 30, 30 games earlier in the year with the the Achilles uh, injury and also, you know, other nagging things. LeBron missed a bunch of games with the ankle injury. Anthony Davis not being out there obviously hurts, but that's just... That's kind of the nature of Anthony Davis. I mean, his rookie season when he was 19, he missed, you know, 18 or 19 games. This is how he's been since he's been in the NBA. He's always been injury riddled. And I, I think it kind of draws a lot of comparison to Joel Embiid. But the big difference between Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, his first two or three seasons, he was out because of major injuries like torn ACLs, severe injuries that required surgery. Anthony Davis has had just a lot of nagging things like a pulled groin or a pulled muscle in his back, a hurt shoulder, uh, turn an ankle, like anything and everything that is deemed minor, it nags at him and he sits out for a really long time. To me, that makes him a little bit overrated because you can't really depend on him night in and night out. And then when he's out for so long, when he comes back, it takes him a really long time to get back to playing like Anthony Davis can play. And AD this year, just quite frankly, hasn't been good. Game two against Phoenix, he was superb after he didn't play very well in game one. But this year, I just, I don't think Anthony Davis has been the player that we all think he really is. He's the second most important player on the team. And obviously without him, the Lakers have no chance of winning the title, but even with him out there, it doesn't seem like it. it's really helping all that much. But he's supposed to play in Game 6 tonight, so we'll see what happens there. The other thing with the Lakers, though, LeBron James has had a severe lack of urgency ever since he's come back from that ankle injury middle of the season. First of all, it took him two months to come back. And I, I get the idea... You know, if your team is winning games and you want to keep pushing back your date until you absolutely need to come back, totally get that. I, I said that in the last episode. But I think he waited a little bit too long. I think he was healthier than he really let on. And I could be wrong. Maybe this ankle thing is still bothering him a lot. Maybe it is. I could totally be wrong and I could be totally underestimating his ankle injury. And if I am, I admit that I'm wrong and I'm sorry. But I really do think that... 
he was healthier than he really let on during that span. And then ever since he's come back, he's just the switch has never been really on. We always know what LeBron does in games. He the first quarter and a half, it's all about facilitating, getting guys involved, and getting thing, getting things moving offensively. And ever since he's come back from this injury, it seems like that's all he's been doing. He hasn't really been attacking, looking for his own shot, taking over games. It's just kind of like, well, I guess I'll score if I need to, but I'm really going to rely on everybody else to hit shots around me. And in game five, that did not work at all. Nobody was hitting shots. AD was out and his shot wasn't falling. You combine those three elements, that leads to a 30-point loss to a very good Phoenix Suns team who you've got to give all the credit in the world to. Got to give them all the credit. On the flip side, when you look at Phoenix, uh, this doesn't really have anything to do with this series. Uh, I mean, CP3, Chris Paul, he got injured at the beginning of the series, had the shoulder injury, was rough there in games two and three. But games four and five... He's looked really good, and he seems to be much better now than he was. That's why I'm giving the edge here to to Phoenix here in this series because, I mean, quite frankly, they've just played better. Anthony Davis is coming off of an, of an injury. We're going to have to see how he plays. Don't know how well he's going to play. And it just doesn't seem like LeBron is the same LeBron that we've seen. I mean, and I, I'm doubting him, and I'm probably wrong for doing that. Because whenever you doubt LeBron James, he proves you wrong. But I'm going to give the edge to Chris Paul and the Suns here because they're just playing like the much more aggressive team. And the thing I'll say about Game 5, too, is that was a game that Phoenix, I think, absolutely needed to have because it was on their home floor. If the Lakers had come through and won that game, regardless of how close it was, a close game or, or a blowout, the series, I think, would definitely be over. But Phoenix won the game. It doesn't really feel like the door is shut on Los Angeles just because you have LeBron James on your team and you do have Anthony Davis coming back. And I know I just went on this whole 10-minute spiel of how Anthony Davis is overrated, and I wholeheartedly believe that. But if he comes back tonight and he drops 30 points and has 10 or 12 rebounds and LeBron plays anything like elimination game LeBron can play, they can win game six and even game seven. I don't think the door is completely shut on the Lakers, but had Phoenix lost game five, I think the door would have been shut on them. If that makes any kind of sense. I just, I still think the best two players out there on the floor when they're out there are LeBron and AD. Devin Booker is a very, very close third. And you could argue he's the second best player out there on the floor when Anthony Davis is out there. But because you have LeBron James, I can never really fully count you out. We're just going to have to watch and, and, and see. We're going to have to wait and see tonight. See how it goes. But right now, Phoenix has got all the momentum. AD injured. LeBron has never really had his foot on the gas pedal. We'll see how it goes tonight. But the thing that I was going to talk about with Chris Paul is that you know after the season's done, he is planning to decline his $44 million option for next season, and he's seeking a multi-year deal worth over $100 million. I think, personally, I think it's a mistake to decline that much money, $44 million, just because 
CP3 over the last several years has had some injury problems. Really, over the course of his career, he's been kind of a guy that gets banged up. Nowhere near to the level of Anthony Davis, CP3 tends to play through some of the injuries that he has. But still, it seems like the last couple of years when he was playing with the Rockets, he was injured against Golden State, and that kind of turned the tide in that series, a, a series that went to seven games, I believe. You know, with that, like CP3 is guaranteed $44 million next year if he just picks up that option. I don't think there's a team out there that would be willing to give him a multi-year deal worth over $100 million unless it's Phoenix. And the only way Phoenix gives that to him is, A, if the Suns beat the Lakers tonight in Game 6 and knock LeBron out of the playoffs and CP3 plays well. If they do that, I think that should definitely bode well for CP3 and getting a new deal. But if the Suns make it to the Western Conference Finals or even the NBA Championship, NBA Finals, and win... Who doesn't give CP3 a new deal? Any team that's willing to that needs to win right now has a a championship ready roster. I mean, Phoenix would definitely be number one on that list to try and keep CP3 just because they just won a championship. You know, assuming that scenario comes true. But if the Lakers come back and win this in seven games, I don't see a team giving Chris Paul one hundred million dollars over a couple years. I think CP3 would be best to just stand pat and accept his $44 million player option because, I mean, that's a huge chunk of money. And he's going to still be right up there with some of the highest paid players in the NBA. If he gets knocked out here in this first round by LeBron, give up this 3-2 lead, you better accept it. I don't think you're going to get $100 million from a team. Now, moving on to another playoff series. The Dallas Mavericks went up 2-0 on the Los Angeles Clippers. Luka Doncic was spectacular. And then in the last two games, the Clippers evened it up at two apiece. And then the Mavs then just went up 3-2. They had a 10-point lead with a couple minutes left in game five. Clippers came all the way back within one. Nicholas Batum, which I don't know why the ball was in his hands. He was statistically, you know, player efficiency-wise and everything, the worst player in the NBA last year. He had the ball late, missed a shot near the basket, and then the Clippers got another chance, down three. Kawhi Leonard in the corner, you know, fall-away three-pointer, airballed it, game over. Mavs up 3-2, and Doncic has like 42 points. Another spectacular game. Mavericks on their way to knocking off a team that everyone thinks is the best in the Western Conference. I've never thought that. I've never thought that the Clippers were the best team in the Western Conference. Even last year when you know they, they signed Kawhi Leonard and traded for Paul George. This Clippers team, though, just lacks a pure foundation. Steve Ballmer is a great owner, high-energy guy, always brings the energy, but he really put his own foot in his mouth with the way he's built this roster. And I'm not saying don't go out and sign Kawhi Leonard. I mean, that's obviously with a free agent of Kawhi Leonard's caliber. You're going to do most everything that you can to bring him in, but the Clippers made a big mistake with the one thing that they did to try and secure Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi said, 
I'll only come if you can promise me Paul George. And the Clippers gave up the farm for Paul George. Gave up like six first round picks. You basically given up your entire future for a player who ever since he broke his leg has never been quite the player that he was. He's still a great player, great wing defender and good offensive scorer, but not the player he was trade tons of future picks away. You bring him in and that makes Kawhi and PG the best wing defending duo in the league, but neither one of them are pure leaders. You don't have a pure leader on your team. Whereas with the Los Angeles Lakers, I mean, LeBron is a leader. He can take a guy like Anthony Davis under his wing and other players and make them great, transcend their talent. Kawhi Leonard is as quiet as they come. Paul George is never really that outspoken. The only real leader on their team is Rajon Rondo. And I love Rajon Rondo. No, no disrespect to him, but I mean, he is way past his prime and, you know, is merely just a bench player, a rotation player at this point in his career. When you have to rely on Rajon Rondo, a rotation player, to be your leader on your team, I think you got bigger problems. They tried to blame it all on Lou Williams. All Lou Williams is the reason we're not really gelling together as a team. Relax. Chill out. The reason that you're not gelling together as a team is because you don't have a pure leader. Kawhi Leonard is not a leader. He's too quiet. Paul George is too quiet. And they're also too inconsistent. Kawhi Leonard doesn't even really play that good a defense anymore. Kawhi Leonard has tried to focus on becoming more of an offensive player. And this Clippers team has honestly been the disappointment, the biggest disappointment in Los Angeles Clippers history, probably. Probably even bigger of a disappointment than the Lob City trio of CP3, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin. Kawhi Leonard was the most highly touted free agent in some time, maybe since Kevin Durant a handful of years ago when he left Oklahoma City for Golden State. And I know KD was just a free agent two years ago, but everybody knew, like there was, everybody knew he was going to Brooklyn, I think. I don't think there was really any kind of debate about that. I don't think there was really any other team in the running. Everyone thought the Knicks were in the running, but it was, it was clearly Brooklyn. So obviously a highly touted free agent, but no one was going to compete for Kevin Durant other than Brooklyn. Kawhi Leonard, though, had several other options. He could have stayed in Toronto, where he just won a championship. Could have went with LeBron and AD to the Lakers. Could have went to the Clippers. And there were other teams, I'm sure, that maybe had a, a small chance at getting Kawhi Leonard. But the point that I'm trying to make is that the Clippers don't really have a clear foundation and they're kind of just the the afterthought of California. The Clippers are the redheaded stepchild of not only Los Angeles, but of the NBA. They will never be the Los Angeles Lakers, and they will never win an NBA championship, at least not in the near future and not within the next 10 to 15 years. I just don't think it can happen. I just They're not well run enough. They're not smart enough. The Mavericks are going to win this series. It might go to seven games, but the Mavericks are going to win. And this is a series I don't think they had any business winning. And the funny thing about it is the Clippers tanked their last two games for this matchup with the Mavericks. 
they thought it favored them better and they're going to lose it. That's the funny thing about it. The last thing I want to talk about though, the Boston Celtics appear to be rebooting from an organizational standpoint, not a team standpoint. They're, they've got a really nice core, but Danny Ainge is stepping down as the president of basketball operations. Brad Stevens is going to fill in as the president and then step down as their head coach. So that leaves a head coaching vacancy in Boston. So this is really big news. I was really surprised by all of this because I think the Boston Celtics are a very well-run organization. They've always been a very well-run organization, very good coached. And this year, you know, Jalen Brown was arguably their best player for a large portion of the year. Definitely uh, much improved than he's been in the last couple years. And he got injured late in the year, wasn't available for the playoffs. That's unfortunate for them. They would have been a little bit more th- more of a threat in the Eastern Conference had they had him. I don't know if they're, they, they're probably not a championship team with him, but they would have had more of a chance if he was in the lineup, of course, as improved as he's been offensively. I don't think that's anybody's fault that he got hurt. Injuries happen in the NBA, and it just happened to be Jalen Brown with the Celtics. And over the last several years, or maybe over the last decade, you might think that the post-Paul Pierce, KG, Ray Allen, Rajon Rondo era was a failure. And I, I, I really do disagree with that. I don't think that Danny Ainge and the Celtics failed in what they did as an organization. They only missed the playoffs one time post-KG and Paul Pierce. And I guess you know, failure for them is just not winning a championship, which is something they're so used to doing, being tied for the NBA lead in, you know, in franchise championships at 17 with the Lakers. They are used to winning championships, not just making the playoffs. And I respect that and I get that. The Celtics have also been to several conference championships over the last several years and just fallen short. They've had some really good teams, just not championship caliber teams. And that's fine. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, they were just you know one piece away. Kyrie Irving could have been that piece for them, but he never really embraced the city after they traded Isaiah Thomas away to bring in Kyrie Irving. He never really embraced the city. That's no one's fault. Danny Ainge brought in the talent. Kyrie was great with the Celtics. Just didn't work out. That was a trade that obviously worked well in the short term for the Celtics, but long term you weren't able to keep Kyrie around no one's fault and Brad Stevens loses Gordon Hayward 10 minutes into his Celtic career with a broken ankle and shattered I mean his leg was just toast I remember watching that game and watching Hayward go up for that alley-oop that was disgusting and that's just a freak accident I mean that's if Gordon Hayward is healthy for the majority of that season you know, with him and Kyrie, I mean, what kind of damage could they have actually done? We don't really know. That would have been something to really, really watch. I wouldn't call that a failure. I would just call that unfortunate. Celtics have been a very good franchise over the last decade post Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Danny Ainge has orchestrated some of the, uh, probably the two greatest trades of recent memory in the NBA trading away an old Paul Pierce, an expensive Paul Pierce, and an, and an expensive Kevin Garnett away for uh, a haul of draft picks from the Brooklyn Nets that dismantled their franchise for 
several years and just debilitated them. And then he was able to trade down in a draft where Jason Tatum was clearly the best player in the class, and they got him by trading down a couple picks. Those are the two greatest trades in recent history, and Danny Ainge was a part of both of them. He was at the forefront of both. Very well-run organization, win a lot of games, get very far in the playoffs. This year, you get knocked out in the first round because you don't have your second-best offensive player. That hurts. It's part of the game. It's the way it goes. The Celtics are not a failure by any means. And I'm a Lakers fan. I don't like the Celtics, but I have a huge respect for not only their history, but the way that they hold themselves as a franchise, the the high standard, accepting nothing less than a championship every year that they go out there and play. And I think that's just what this is about, is that the Celtics standards are just extremely high. Making the playoffs and making the Eastern Conference Finals is not good enough for them. And I respect that. Danny Ainge steps down. Brad Stevens probably getting a little burnt out from coaching, perhaps. He was getting a lot of calls from colleges. And these colleges were trying to get the Celtics to name their price to pry Brad Stevens away. And Stevens maybe slightly burnt out a little bit and said, I want to put myself in the front office. And so Brad Stevens is going to be excellent as the president of basketball operations. I think he's going to do fantastic at building this roster even better once you get Jalen Brown back. And then maybe in free agency, you can help yourself out a little bit. Now, the Boston Celtics have never been a great free agent landing spot. I mean, when Anthony Davis was a part of the rumor mill for trades, Rich Paul, his agent, always said, yeah, you can trade for Anthony Davis, but regardless of what happens, he's walking and he's going to the Los Angeles Lakers. That's the difference between the Lakers and the Celtics is that the Lakers can pull free agents just because it's in LA and that's their brand. The Celtics aren't great at landing free agents despite their winning lineage. So that's something that they've always tried to hurdle and, and jump over. And again, that's not their fault. That's just, again, that's just how the world works sometimes. Celtics are by no means a failure. They've been one of the most well-run franchises, not only in league history, but in the last 10 years. I would argue way more well-run than the Lakers have been in the last 10 years in different spots. But now the Celtics need a new head coach. Who's that going to be? Jason Kidd's name was thrown out there. Mike Krzyzewski's name has been thrown out there. And Krzyzewski is retiring from Duke as their head basketball coach. Krzyzewski's not going to go to the Celtics. That's just a... That that rumor is never going to come to fruition. I think that that's just coincidental that Brad Stevens moved up the ladder into the front office and Krzyzewski retiring. That's just a weird dink right there. I mean, they're... Krzyzewski's not going to go coach the Celtics. That's just not happening. But my bottom line with the Celtics is that they're very well run. And just time for a little bit of change and maybe an adjustment of expectations for their team going forward. Obviously, you still won championships. That's what you always set your eye on. But now they're just kind of hitting the reboot button a little bit. It's not a full reboot. Some things are going to stay the same, but some things are going to change a little bit. And that's fine. But 
The big one tonight, Game 6, the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Lakers. Going to be tuning into that at 10.30. It's a late game. I have work early in the morning, but that's fine. Uh, I'm going to watch. Go Lakers, but Phoenix definitely has the upper hand right now. We'll see how AD plays when he comes back. But thanks so much for tuning in to Episode 131 of WFS, The Will Ford Show. Make sure you follow the show on Twitter, at The Will Ford Show. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Like and comment on SoundCloud. You can also follow me on there as well. Check me out on TikTok at The Will Ford Show. I'll see you in episode 132. This is WFS, The Will Ford Show.